Welcome to the Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Palomino. This podcast is about thought-provoking ideas to scale up and growth hack performing and human-centric work cultures. My guests are experts on mindsets, skills, and science behind work cultures. I hope you enjoy this episode. Wow, wow, wow. So now... I'm going to be discussing a little bit more about something that it remains quite important in my working life because I, I, I have a lot of discussion with human resources people and I wanted to dedicate a specific episode about how human resources can improve productivity and happiness in the workplace. And the reason why I wanted to discuss about human resources because, I mean, Let's be sincere, they have taken a lot during the COVID times, there has been a lot of critics, but the thing is that human resources department has been getting better and better. Uh, there was a 2022 study by SHRM that found that 70, 73% of employees believe that HR is making a positive impact in the workplace. Well, that is positive, but still there is a couple of things that could be fine-tuned. Still, there is some skepticisms about human resources role, where there is about 27% of employees saying that they do not trust human resources to act in their best interest. So the human part of human resources is a little bit put aside. And then there is some specifics here and there, where a study by McKinsey in 2022 found that 75% of executives believe that their companies are not doing enough to promote diversity and inclusion. There are some people according to the a study by LinkedIn that found that 63% of employees say that their company do not provide them with enough opportunities for development. There are certain people who say 52% that says that well-being is not into the, uh, into the core of importance or tasks that human resources uh, is doing. Uh, so there are a couple of things that needs to be still fine-tuned. And the good thing is that for this episode of Growth Hacking uh, Culture Podcast, I have invited, now I would like to say a friend because we have been discussing already quite a lot about work culture and her name is Hilda Gann. She is the president of a company called People Bright Consulting. And what is quite interesting is that it's an award-winning HR management consulting firm based in Canada, Toronto. And the things that she has learned are more from her own experience. What does it mean is that she has been an accomplished entrepreneur and work culture expert. She founded an engineering consulting firm that has been recognized twice as one of the top 10 best workplaces in Canada. And because of this success, she has created and connected to a program called Revop in order to help train, coach, and mentor executive of what made her company that successful. And now she's sharing all these learnings. Hilda, it is so nice to have you today for this episode. Really, it's almost like we never stopped talking, right, Hilda? I know it's been it's been like a few weeks because I was on vacation and you were on my guest is on my podcast, which is already aired live. And even before that, we 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 struck a chord and we, we could just talk all day on work culture. So thank you for having me. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And I'm looking forward to having this very 
I think, challenging discussion, not challenging for me. It's that what do people really think about HR? And you shared some of those statistics and the, the trust factor, the, 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 how long we've come, but how we can help a company be healthier, more positively engaged. So I'm looking forward to this discussion and I'm expecting people to get a lot of information on how they can be better, better, healthier workplaces. I mean, we always say that the process of improving is by recognizing where is our weaknesses and where we can focus on. And and I wanted to have your opinion, uh, Hilda. Um, you have been working for with so many companies that have been asking you for advice. And, and I wanted to, to, to tell me a little bit more about what do you think are the top three, let's say, things that HR can do to improve productivity and happiness in the workplace? Because these two topics are the main challenges for any organization. What would you say that HR would need to start or stop doing today? I think in order for a company to succeed in business, those companies, and it's statistically been been shown that those companies that look at a focus of people and profit actually have higher sales and higher revenue than companies who only focus on profit, 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 profit. The people are a commodity. When you treat people as a commodity, they don't feel engaged, they don't feel belong, and they feel like a commodity. You know, they're disposable. So how do you create improved productivity, improved happiness? And I think, first of all, you have to engage staff. And, and, you know, there's some sad statistics out there. I think um, a 2021 global workforce poll by Gallup said 20% of people feel engaged. Mm. That's sad. It means 80% aren't. So you need to think of strategies to engage them. And I think you need to build trusting relationships. People will not open up they'll feel guarded if you do not make them feel that they're valued and they're trusted. So so the third thing is meaningful work. People do want to know that what they're doing adds value. And when you add value to, to an organization, you feel proud of what you're doing. So engage people help them feel they're working in a trusting relationship and give them work that is meaningful so that they feel valued and important. But but the core of the problem, Hilda, I would say is that that human resources, even though they, they are being asked so much, I mean, suddenly during COVID, yeah, you are responsible to improve culture, to improve the engagement index in, uh, in a corporation. And on top, they have all this burden or administrative charges that they had on the in the past because let's be sincere pre-covid uh hr was administration like big excels for salaries uh, numbers and 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 so on and suddenly on on top of that we are putting them in charge of something that you are you are mentioning also 
engagement of employees, building trust, uh, building meaning in the, in the organization. How is it possible that they we have to overload them like, on, on top if they haven't been removed from this nonsense, nonsense administrative task? That's an excellent, excellent question. And I will clarify that this was part of the role of human resources all along to create the healthy work culture. But oftentimes, some organizations did not see the value of people in the workplace. There's there's a study and, and it's by HR McLean. And I follow this study every year. And in 20 um, in 2023 and 2022, the value of being people-centric had increased. In 2020, it was only number five. Recruitment has always been number one in terms of the amount of time people spend. And so everybody thinks, oh yeah, that's what they do. They hire people, they fire people, and they bring them on board. But in 2022, that creating that employee engagement making sure it's people-centric was number five, but it jumped up during COVID to number two, and that's where it stays. And training of managers to be more effective leaders was actually number two and now has slipped to number three. So to me, the top things that HR are involved in is recruitment, um, creating a people-centric culture, um, and that's what staff expect now, that you treat me like a client and you guide me and support me along the way. And then the third thing is train your managers to be effective people leaders. And people like to say, oh, well, that's a soft skill. That is not a soft skill. It is a skill that people have to learn and hone and be good at. Because when you have leaders who are effective leader people that know how to motivate and uplift their teams, you create trust, you build trusting relationships. And when you build trusting relationships, that's when people can grow and feel they're valued in an organization. I love this story or this reference that you do about the importance of having people-centric cultures from number five to number uh, number two, which in fact is one of the positive consequences of the pandemic. In fact, yeah. suddenly organizations rec recognize that leaders are not ready, that they were not ready in order to develop agility, innovation, or yeah, yeah. more engagement with people because leaders didn't know how to interact with somebody who is in at home and they were talking to each other. Even pre-COVID, people didn't know how to um, lead people, yeah. lead people. And then all of a sudden you have COVID and people are working remotely, or you have to figure out how do I tell somebody they're going to be laid off, you know, or work three day work week. They did not have the skill sets to to connect, communicate with people or recognize when their staff were stressed because of workload, because of isolation, living in a, an apartment by themselves and never talking to anybody for weeks on end, except through through a, a little screen. And so that became important that we needed to focus on it. And HR, HR's role has been what I said it was, but HR wasn't always recognized for that role. And so COVID allowed organizations and executives to listen 
to human resources. So many times I would hear my colleagues, I want to get a seat at the table. I want to get a seat at the table. How do I get a seat at the table? Well, first of all, you need to earn the respect of other executives at the table. And that means not just understanding how to be an HR um, a, a professional. It is learning the business, learning what it is about that industry. And when you make decisions and suggestions, you do it from a business perspective. Uh, what's the return on investment for this? You know, I, I think and in, in your introduction, you said not only does she do HR, but she's a businesswoman. You know, my husband and I grew a company from two employees. I like to say I joined him two weeks later because somebody had to do payroll for him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we grew that to 125 engineering and, and other staff across seven offices in Canada. And you don't do that. Like you don't run that kind of operation without thinking pragmatically. How do I scale a business? that's still going to retain top talent that's going to make people feel valued and wanted and i and i do that so when i started my own company people bright it was to help business leaders who are scaling but haven't created the hr foundation to scale in a way that will retain those you know those early people that join them and build that uh, in a way that isn't going to implode on them at, you know, employee number 56 or something like that. Hmm. Uh, it is almost like the role of HR, I, I, I'm still wondering, and, and I'm, I'm just thinking loud oh, here. Yep, yep. How, how does it come, how would it be in the future? Do we really need a, a department that is called human resources in order to orchestrate the major initiatives around, uh, uh, around our organization? Or should every department or group inside of the organization take a little bit of this responsibility regarding the development of what you said, purpose, engagement, tr building trust, and it should be a shared responsibility and there is no more human resources. Human resources is just an orchestrator, like a, an, a project management officer in order to orchestrate the initiatives and the money that you need to invest in these initiatives. So I love how you always think and think outside the box. And uh, first of all, I'll say it is everybody's responsibility to build the healthy work culture. It isn't HR, it isn't the employees, and it isn't the managers. But everybody has to take that responsibility. The manager has to be the quarterback of his team. Right, he needs to take a responsibility for motivating, uplifting, nurturing his staff, making sure they do what they do. And when they don't, when their productivity low and morale, they need to think, how can I help this? But there's a role for the HR to do this. Because think about it, you have staff who are out there selling. Okay, well, why do you need a sales uh, VP? Mm. So same idea. You've got people, all of us should be participating in, in creating a respectful, healthy, integrated culture where people love what they do and love where they work. So what do you need HR? You need somebody strategically to guide that, to support that, to nurture that, to make sure 
that those people that aren't so good at their non-technical communication, um, motivation, leadership skills, learn how to do that. Or when they see the metrics that saying, you know, this department has got a high turnover. Why is that? So you do need somebody strategically to help with the human resources. And when you think about oftentimes, particularly in um, uh, professional services, 80% of your operations is your human resources. Why wouldn't you have a quarterback or, you know, an executive coach working with that? So the answer to your out of the box thinking is you need human resources and you need everybody in an organization to be committed to creating a healthy workplace. You stroke my interest, my left ear, in fact, <laughs> with the word that you use, metrics. But the funny thing about human resources is that they are also criticized by the lack of metrics on their initiatives. They are always criticized, they're also criticized because of the lack of innovation inside of human resources. There is so much data analytics and automations that could be done in order to relieve them from the mm-hmm. administrative shit that they are they are doing uh, yes. and yes. so that they can focus on the people side of, of, of things. So re- that discussion about metrics leads me to my next question. What are the common HR mistakes that has that can lead to decrease productivity and happiness? So if we stay around this topic of productivity and happiness, what do they do sometimes that can have the opposite of what we expect from uh, a good work culture with productivity and happiness? So if I can just back up a little bit, um, I think it gets to the understanding of what is a human resources professional at a more strategic level mm. like? And and you said, I think we, we think of human resources as the administrative people or the people that, that do the engagement pieces of parties uh, and other events. But a a senior executive who's human resources is thinking strategically. I sense the newer HR professionals of today who really can make an impact on an organization need to think in a much more strategic way than just doing administration. Because uh, I want to sh- share that. And and I'm because I didn't come through HR the same way some people do, uh, because I was a businesswoman de- developing business office, and I started my career in nursing, which means I care. I started my career in nursing because I care about people, but I have a science mathematical background that had to be fed. So so the result was, okay, I think this combination of nursing and is great because it feeds into my caring for people and my my understanding of science, math, metrics, whatever you want to call it. So I think outside the box, just like you. I, I mean, I love your questions for me because they're not the the same old, same old. You're making me think on the spot and share. <laughs> this. So I need to share this with you. So for a long time, I thought 
okay, you know, I'm so proud of what we've done to be a best workplaces in Canada. And I'm thinking many HR people should be like this. I knew that they weren't. And suddenly I realized some people go into human resources like they go into banks because they love the predictability of the role. They love the fact that I need to create policies and practices that you need to follow so that you can fit in. So there are some people who will go into it because they love the stability of creating process and having people follow that process. Mm-hmm. But a, I think an HR leader of the future is going to think strategically as a partner. And we have roles now that are called um, HR business partner. And that business partner is part of the team in a sales department in the you know in the marketing department or the finance department and they learn about the business and they learn how to support the business in a multifaceted way so back to your question about what does hr not do that promotes productivity that can reduce productivity and i think one of the things is that they need to recognize that the managers are a key to turning on productivity. The manager can shut it down by yelling at you, by belittling you, by making you feel like you don't know what you're doing. And and when I teach people, I talk about the job of a leader is to motivate and uplift your team. If you think your job is to watch people and criticize them so they, they get better, that criticism is going to, instead of helping them climb the ladder of confidence and the ladder of skills, you are eroding their confidence and you're eroding their skill. I'm pretty sure they become as incompetent as you think they are because you created that. Mm. So that's what managers do. And what HR professionals could do better is number one, advocate for training managers to be people skilled because that's going to increase your metrics in terms of lower turnover higher retention more engaged staff more productivity and more profit Hmm. right and the second thing they need to do is they need to help people be brave in those difficult conversations if you have somebody who's subperforming you need to address it And oftentimes, HR and managers will say, oh, well, let's just fire them or uh, let's tell them they're not doing okay. You're not doing okay. Get better. Hmm. Learn how to help people be better, right? So a key role that HR should be playing is having the courage to make sure those difficult conversations happen. Hmm. The other thing they need to do is foster and build trust in the in the workplace we talk about diversity equity and in inclusiveness and you know companies hr and the executive create this beautiful strategic plan that talks about dei how we're going to implement this but they don't implement it it's on the bookshelves it just stays up there And what you need to do is you need to have the courage to create a trusting relationship that says, you know, harassment, uh, disrespect is not tolerated. 
and not just give it lip service, but to talk to people, to educate them, because I'm not going to speak up if I feel that if I say something, you're going to, you know, just like ignore it or you're going to downplay it. And so a key role that HR can play is building trusting relationships. And I know that's difficult for HR because sometimes they're seen as, um, oh, they just side with the company, right? It's the us versus them mentality. When we building a we culture, if you think about it, if we build a we culture, what can we do? So HR plays a very delicate role. Not everybody can play this well, where you are respected by the executive to 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 help build the company's culture, to help build the, the success of the company. But you're also respected by the staff as somebody I can go to so that things can get done. I, I remember reading an article, I don't remember the statistics, but they said, so these are fictitious statistics, but you get the idea. The CEO knows 5% of what's going on in terms of the, you know, the underpinnings of the, of the business. The, the senior managers know, you know, 10%. The managers maybe know 12%. The staff know 90%, <laughs> right? So, so I think if we help people build a trusting relationship, if we help people build a we culture mentality, then we are much further ahead than if we're trying to pit managers with, with staff, we're trying to down degrade our staff so that they feel miserable. Like, why would you come to work if somebody's gonna be your, if you're gonna be somebody's punching bag all day long? I hate it when somebody says, well, I, I can't ask, you know, I can't ask Jeremy today because not sure what kind of mood he's in, but it sounds like it's a bad mood. So I'll wait till tomorrow. Like what kind of trust relationship is that? What kind of trusting relationship? When you're on eggshells because you can't have a conversation with your boss or with your colleague. Hmm. There is, your message is quite powerful because you have put just the finger in something that sometimes we put aside this element of trust as the building, the starting point of everything else, like in being having an, a an working environment that is inclusive, where people feel belonging, where they dare to voice up their concerns, where they can openly communicate. It, for me, trust is almost like gravity. Let's say like it's a particle, uh -huh. and this particle has a name, oxytocin that is going around in, in, in the organization in order to glue everything together. So all the elements of healthy workplaces has the element of trust as a, as a basics of, of attractions. That's how planets go around because of gravity. Planets are sticking together in a balanced environment. Same, oxytocin plays mm -hmm. the same role in the, uh, in the organization. And you are right, human resources should be the mandated person to make the element of trust stick together all around the organization. I love that, Hilda. I, I really, I, I can tell you, I, and that leads me to my, my next question. Listen, I, 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 I love how your brain works. And I love <laughs> that you, you're challenging human resources and I'm helping you and I'm helping HR professionals, because I'm sure when they hear this, they go, 
she's right. You know, I'm going to, I want to empower people to be the best versions of themselves. That's the employers, that's the human resources people, and that's the managers and the executive. We have the ability to create a healthy culture that's going to make it a better organization and better profits and better, better, you know, sales. Like, you can tell I'm very passionate about. I, I, I know. <laughs> in, in your in your current work, you have developed a type of framework that is based on what made the success of your previous company as a as a business, and it's called the RevUp. I call it principles. I, you can call it something else. Uh, Rev I, it, they are principles, but okay. they, it can be an approach. It can be a framework, but rev up is based on a set of principles. So you are absolutely correct in that. Okay. Um, Tell me, can we use the rev up principles to help human resources to do, a, to have a better impact in terms of productivity and happiness in the workplace and also for them, of course. Yes, thank you for asking, because this is something I created and I'm very proud of. And my mission is to help globally people enjoy what they do and enjoy where they work. So if I can briefly share, when we started our company in the like in 1996, the company's name is iTrans. It's an engineering firm specializing in transportation. My husband said, wouldn't it be nice if people loved what they did and loved where they work? And I want to do that. And, and so because of the per people nursing person, I thought, oh, this is great. This is great. <laughs> and so I never intended to work for it with him uh, because he's an I'm a nurse. He's an engineer. And if he, they said you will be spending 17 of, years of your life working together, I would have said, you're crazy. How does a nurse and an engineer end up working together? So when we created this, we would hire people who heard what we wanted to do. And then years later, um, when we were celebrating our 10th anniversary, we had 75 people across Canada. And we always wanted to make sure that the Calgary office and the Vancouver office and other offices across Canada didn't feel like they were a branch office and we were head office. We wanted everybody to feel that we culture. And we put our names out there and we were recognized top 10 twice. The first time number nine and the second time number four. Wow. And we can talk about it in metrics later, how we jumped from number nine to number four. But when we sold the company, I said to myself, you know, of all the things that I did to build the business and expand it across Canada, it was the human resources side of business operations that I love. So that's why I started my company and I started People Bright. So I'm saying, hmm, how do I articulate concisely what we did to create that? Wouldn't you love to love what you do and where you work? And I thought, well, we treat people with respect and we looked at them as equals. Everybody's job was equally important as anybody's in the company. Because without you doing your job well, we could lose a project. We could lose a, a staff member. We could lose a client. Your job is equally important to the success and to the failure of our company. So, and I thought, and we always 
valued what our staff did individually and as a group. So I had the first three words, respect, equality, valued. And I thought, oh, we revved up our team. We revved up our business. We revved up our success. Okay, respect, equality, valued. Well, what's the up? What's the up in all this? And I'm driving and thinking this through. And I said, we treated everybody special. We listened to them. We heard what their dreams and aspirations were. And if we felt they were realistic, we would help foster that achievable goal. And if they weren't, we would help modify it. So the you became uniqueness. So I put it into a sentence, rev up. It's a set of principles. You treat people and yourselves with respect. Look at them as equals. Value who they are. Then look at the uniqueness of yourself and others. And if you tap into that potential, imagine what you could do for yourself, your employees, and your company. You will now have them building a trusting relationship because they see you're invested in their growth. You're nurturing them. You're supporting them. You're invested in the group as a whole in, in having a camaraderie, a sense of belonging. I remember a project manager and he was in his third month and I would walk around and I would talk. And so I said, Henry, how's it going? He says, it's going pretty good. You know, I've worked in a lot of companies and I can count on my hand. So I'm thinking, what's he counting? So <laughs> I can count on my hand the number of employees that I don't trust. <laughs> the number of employees that I don't trust to do a good job, to whatever. And I'm thinking, this is validating what we are trying to create. What we are trying to do is create a place where people support each other and we work together and we create that we culture. We don't have an us versus them. And that's part of why the best workplaces in Canada, and, and it, it is a, it's, it's put on by the Great Work Institute, and there are best workplaces all over the world, Brazil, United States, you know, Spain, Switzerland, whatever. And when we got our results back and I learned more, it's those companies that are better. It isn't because you have all these perks, because you say, hey, we got that, we got three weeks of vacation, we got the mentoring program. It's the difference between what employees think and what managers think. And when the gap is close, that is best workplaces. When the gap is very high, this is not, you know, you're not on the top 100 list, let alone you know, the top 10. I, I like this analogy because you made me think about, I don't know if it was maybe one year ago, there was a study where leaders were asked, are we doing enough about well-being and of course leaders were thinking yeah we're investing 70 percent of of leaders were saying yeah we're investing so much and at the same time there was only 20 percent of the regular employees who were thinking that it was enough yeah. and there was a huge gap and that i couldn't even believe it that the i and i didn't understand i couldn't read it correctly if it was a lack of perception that they don't know the reality or almost like they feel like 
because of loyalty, I have to say something positive about my company, about the mm -hmm. investment that my company is doing with, uh, with well-being. Hilda, I have a, one question that for me is important with this idea of human resources contributing to productivity and happiness. And it is more about the process of measuring performance of employees, because I have the impression, I have the gut feeling that it's a little bit outdated the way <laughs> performance is measuring most of the companies. What's your take on that? <laughs> when, when, when I help my clients uh, build this, the strategic framework with a healthy culture in mind and with an ability to scale, right? What I one of the things they ask for uh, is their performance, uh, they call it performance evaluation tool. So I have a set of slides where I talk about the way things are, were, and the trends. And I'll share with you, those trends were trends my husband and I were doing when we owned our company decades ago, right? <laughs> so so the, the trend isn't, we call it performance management. And, and I don't like that word because I don't want to manage you. I don't want to manage you. Um, so I like to call it performance um, review or performance, um, you know, development. Mm -hmm. So the trend today really should not be about evaluating how you were and saying, oh, well, you're a little bit shy and quiet. And I think we need to get you more comfortable speaking in public. So let's send you off to events. Let's send you to a communication course. Meanwhile, that person's forte is in really um, project building detailed projects planning with an understanding of risk management and, and in the language of fascination, which is a tool that I use to identify uniqueness. Each one of us has languages that we're really good at. So rather than managing me and making me whole, you know, in my weaknesses and my strengths, balance me so I'm a holistic being, find my uniqueness. Find my, 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 where I shine in my skills and tap into that so I can become more of an expert and I'll be more confident in those things. And those other things may nurture and develop themselves, but let me shine in who I am. Um, the fascination tool helps people identify where they shine in their ability to communicate effectively. And when you know how you set yourself apart in those areas that are your natural intuitive gifts, then you actually will be more confident and capable and you'll develop trusting relationships quicker because you're a truer version of yourself so so that's what i think people need to do is don't manage performance help people nurture their development so the performance tools of today what i call performance review is do a snapshot of generic abilities their organizational skills their communication skills, their uh, their ability to to be to judge and set priorities, their corporate responsibilities. You know, do you hand your your timesheets on time? Because when you don't, 
you actually prevent the company from billing the client. And if the turnaround time for billing is 90 days, you are slowing our cash flow and you know cash flow is king. So I help companies create these generic performance tools that help them identify, is this person exceeding expectations, meeting expectations or need some improvement? And then from that, don't use it to judge what they're doing. Use it as a springboard to say, so now where do we go in the next year or the five years? What's your dream? So I call it performance review and performance development. And then the, the performance management part is the one where if they are not performing well, then you talk about developing a, um, you understand what the problem is, the reason for it, and what actions will be taken collaboratively to improve those not satisfactory um, indicators at the moment. So. <laughs> like it. Um, what's your take in terms of, so today, for instance, there is huge investments about, uh, I don't know, ma managing your time, managing uh, people for the first time, these type of courses that has existed for more than 20, 30 years. And my question is, shouldn't we look for development tools that are more holistic in the sense that they teach you how to manage things rather than that specific? Like for instance, building resilience or growth mindset or even mindfulness. What is your take about learning this type of meta skills that help people find on, your, on their own the solutions so you know i i people often get promoted into managerial roles um or into more technical roles because they have the technical skills and the project management skills mm. the, the criteria for communication leadership people leadership is not part of the of the triangle of the stool and oftentimes they think okay well they got these two legs and uh, the other one will come it's not it's not given its solid weight mm. and to me uh, mindfulness definitely i think needs to happen because when you improve self as an individual a manager an executive you improve your ability to help others you know, if, if you are stressed, you're negative, and your your angry version of yourself, in, in the words of fascination, which I'm a certified advisor in, that's called double trouble. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. So the languages of fascination is some people think outside of the box. They're creative. You are creative. So you're an innovation. Uh, some people speak the language of excellence, continuous improvement. And that's me, and it's called prestige. And I continuously want to improve, improve myself and other things around me. Then there's the detail people, the alert people who can create the projects to the umph detail. And they'll look at contingency plan A and B and all the potential risk factors. So there are seven different languages. And I think what we need to do is we need to help people discover themselves. Mindfulness is one way. And when I was, when I came up with the concept of Rev Up, I said, well, yeah, that's fine, Hilda. You can tell Ivan, you're unique. You know, George, you're unique. You know, Sebastian, you're unique. Uh, 
but that's just lip service. I needed my science brain said, Hilda, you have to have something quantifiable that you can share with people. And there's lots of psychometric tools out there. But of all the tools that I've ever taken, fascination advantage is one of the tools that I find really helpful. Not a lot of people know about it, but it's an amazing tool because many psychometric tools look at how you see the world. Are you an analytical? Are you an extra? Like, are you, uh, you know, um, a person who is more social or, or decisive? What fascination does is it looks at how the world sees you. So are you a, a decision maker? Are you a creative? Are you a deep thinker? And, and I love it because it uses languages that everybody can speak and use uh, once they hear the report rather than saying, oh, am I a perceiver or a judger? And what does that mean? Like, I, I could never understand this because to me, it's not antithesis. Like, you know, you know, black and white. It, it's more like, this is gray and this is purple. And go, what? <laughs> this just doesn't make, you know, logical, intuitive sense to me. So I love the fascination tool because it really does. It's science-based, lots of research, over a million users. And it helps people identify what are my two gifts that I share when I speak authentically. And when you know those two languages that you speak, you speak with confidence and then you build trusting relationships. So I love to use this tool to help people. So in, in my mind, I think mindfulness is one, learning to understand yourself is another. And for me, so many people leave companies because the three reasons people leave is toxic work culture. And I've already, you and I've already talked about how do you create healthy work cultures? It's the lack of challenging work. And again, mm -hmm. we've talked about how you help that. And the third thing is bad bosses. Mm -hmm. and, and bad bosses could be your immediate supervisor, that person's supervisor, even the top. And when you don't have bosses who nurture and see their role as being a leader that uplifts and motivates people, then you, you don't want to work there. You don't want to belong there. So to me, it is teaching people to be better people leaders. And that's uplifting, motivating people. It's adopting my rev up concept. It's understanding yourself and who you are. That's totally right, Hilda. Hilda, it has been, again, lovely to speak to you, to learn a little bit more about how human resources can recreate itself and maybe accelerate this movement that has started uh, during the COVID times where the, the presence the, uh, of human resources has increased, the impact of things that they, they have they have done has has increased and now it seems like this is a good opportunity to put human resources at the core of any business strategy and the tips that you have given are quite amazing hilda thank hilda, you how can people reach you out what so, do we use to talk to you <laughs> so i am on linkedin and if you look up my name hilda gan you can see it on the screen you will find hilda gan and you'll see my picture i don't have funny numbers at the end of it i do offer a you know a free 45 minute consultation i'm happy for people to look that up they can email directly to me at hilda gan at 
peoplebrightconsulting.com, my company, or if you go on my website, you'll see that um, they can connect with me through that. Oh, that's excellent. Hilda, really has been lovely to have you in this episode of Growth Hacking Podcast. My name is Ivan Palomino, and as I, I enjoy spending time with people that when we have a discussion, then I have like a half an hour to digest the new learnings. Hilda, it has been lovely to discuss about how we do better workplaces and how do we help human resources to drive the movement of creating productive and happy workplaces. Thank you very much, Hilda. Thank you, Ivan, for having me, because I really want to help companies be that best version of self. So I, I truly invite people to, to connect with me so that they can be much more effective in building a healthier business and revving up their businesses and their success. Thank you. Thank you.